When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Tiger Talk. I'm your host, Taylor Davis, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jason Campbell, here to talk all things Auburn for you. We've got some different storylines that we want to touch base on today, and then we are also going to preview the big Super Bowl coming up this week, the last bit of football season happening on Sunday. So we're going to break down that one. And be sure and stay tuned to the end. We have a very special guest, former cornerback, for Auburn and several teams in the NFL. He had his own Super Bowl experience. Gerard Powers is going to be joining us, so we are so excited to be joined by him. Well, before we dive into some stories, um, obviously we are not an NBA or even a a professional sports podcast. We're a college football podcast, but uh, the entire sports world community has been affected this week by the tragedy of the passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi and other passengers in a helicopter crash this past week. And I just felt like first and foremost, we needed to acknowledge that and um, pay our respects to him and to everyone that is affected by this, his, his wife, Vanessa, and the entire sports community. I mean, the outpouring of love and support and just how this has impacted so many people, whether you knew him or not, this guy made an impact. And and it's something that is is really shaking everybody right now. So we wanted to make sure and, and pay our respects and everyone that's affected by this, certainly in our thoughts and prayers. Jason, I don't know about you. When I heard the news, I it it didn't even register with me. A guy like that, you you almost forget that they're human, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I remember I went to church and after church, I went to go eat and I came home and I was receiving these text messages through a group text. And they was talking about, did you hear about Kobe? And I was just like, I kept the TV on. I was my initial reaction, kept the TV on because usually something would be on the ESPN screen or something. And yeah. then I didn't see anything. So I said, man, this has to be fake news. And I hope it's fake news because you know, just by the simple fact. And then once you found out, so I said, let me call my cousin out of L.A. So I called my cousin in L.A. and she like, yes, it's true. It's been all over the news out here and that it was his helicopter. And I was just immediately my stomach just felt sick. And uh, yeah. and then it just kept getting worse when, when you heard about his daughter and then you heard about the other seven victims, a family of three and then another mother and daughter and then another mother of three kids and a husband that's at home. And um, mm-hmm. another and the mom pilot. And, and the pilot. And you just like, man, like it's just, I couldn't even sleep. Honestly, Sunday night, I couldn't sleep. I probably got about two hours of sleep. And I didn't even know him personally, but right. I, I got a chance to go watch him play in a couple of games when I was playing in the pros. And uh, when he came to the cities that I played in, I would go watch their game, his games because he was one of my favorite players. Him and MJ at the time was like two of my favorite athletes I always liked to watch because of their mentality and the way they their desire to want to win and, and everything. And it just goes to show you that, you know, this was a global 
and uh, the bigger picture that came out of it because it's so much pain and so much hurt. When you just think about the families and you think about his wife, not only losing a husband, but losing a, uh, a daughter. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the the other families that, that lost loved ones. And, you know, of course, Kobe's name will be put out the most because he was a, a big figure in the public eye. But everybody's lives means the same. And, um, yeah. and every one of those families are hurt. And uh, this makes you really look at life and it makes you have to make adjustments in your life to just know that, man, it, nothing's guaranteed. And, you know, we can sometimes take things for granted um, in life and everything. But this puts everything in perspective, because when you think of a guy like Kobe, you think, oh, man, it's got like a hero type guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he lives well into his 80s and 90s, you know, and. And then to see if something tragic like this happens, man, it's just uh, it's really heart heartbroken, uh, devastation, and it has affected the whole global. And I think uh, because of Matt, and every time I read more about it, I think I'm just like just you know just hurting, just sick because it is a devastating loss for 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 everyone. Yeah, and there's so many layers to this one, like you said. But I mean, this is a guy that just seemed larger than life and he seemed almost invincible so it it took everyone a second to to kind of come to terms with it because you mm-hmm. just don't associate that something like that would happen to someone like him but it did it, it kind of put everything back into perspective that this life is fragile and fleeting and we should all take uh, absolute advantage of of the opportunities and the blessings that we have, but also shake off the small stuff. I mean, if anything can take be taken away from this tragedy, it's that you know you got to cherish what you have and and the people around you, and you got to let the other stuff go. If you let it really linger and affect you, you're wasting precious time that you don't know how much more of it you have. So. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that everyone can try and take some positives from this. I just, I love all the different memes and things that have been coming out just about, you know, our generation, everybody grew up shooting rolled up Mm -hmm. pieces of paper into trash cans yelling Kobe. I mean, I did that all throughout school and, uh, I'm just hopeful that things like that continue. I know that teams and the NBA are going to pay homage to him in, in different ways, whether retiring his number or, or changing the logo. That's something that they're trying to get to happen right now. But more than anything, I hope it's just those little things, the the little legacy and, and the overall message of, of working hard and, and committing yourself to your passion. Uh, that's right. ultimately what he stood for. And I hope that that's what continues. We just got to keep all the families in prayer. Everyone, you know, if you're praying person, you know, definitely keep them in prayer and keep them in in your hearts because they're going to need it. And uh, as we continue to move forward. Yeah. Difficult to transition, but we got to do what we got to do. We're going to talk about some Auburn headlines right now. Kind of a, a quieter time, if you will, but only for about a week because a week from today is National Signing Day, which is crazy. Time is just flying by. But recruiting is in full swing and honestly looks like it's going pretty well. We had a really strong start early signing day in December. Hopefully next week is just as successful. Uh, News has actually come out that we have gotten a commitment from four-star JUCO defensive end DeAndre Butler, and that's huge, obviously, rebuilding that defensive line when you have so many stars depart is a huge priority and getting somebody that is going to have a little bit of, of playing experience even at the juco level is certainly a testament to to a rebuild for this defense yeah most definitely uh you know coach Steele, you know getting an extension and everything 
uh, you look at our recruiting class and all our needs, you know, from offensive linemen that we're losing uh, four starters off that off that side of the ball. And uh, mm-hmm. so that's a big key for us in the signing class. And then you think about defensively, you know, you're losing two of the better starters to, to, to walk on Auburn Plains um, to, to play defensive linemen and Derrick and Marlin. And that you got to replace and, and just thinking about, you know, Nick Coe, who decided to go pro, we got to replace him as well. So and then our safeties and corners, we're, we're basically replacing the whole secondary. So, you know, there's big shoes to fill. And uh, I think a lot of these signees can have an opportunity to come in and get early playing time. And it's not a bad idea to pick up a few Juco guys just because of their experience of playing at the college level already. And uh, right. they can come in and have immediate immediate effect on our team. And you just think about signing day. You know, it's such an exciting day. Um, I can remember back my signing day. It's such a relief off your shoulders as a player. And I'm pretty sure the coaches feel the same way too. Um, because for them, adding that signing day in December helps the coaches because you already got half your class signed before you even walk mm-hmm. into next week. And that releases a lot of pressure because – you get to spend a little bit more time with your family now during the off season. You're not having to answer your phone every five minutes and you're trying to have dinner or something. And uh, so it's limited because I think you're only going to sign like eight to 10 guys maybe next week because most of your class is already signed. So yeah. we look forward to that and uh, and everything and uh, and see what Auburn can bring to the table and, and with this signing class. It's going to be a huge one because we're going to need it. Yeah, and I think it all starts in the trenches. Obviously, we say that all the time, but that's certainly going to be true this season. I think they got to invest in in the lines on both sides and uh, and make sure we're really solid there. But then I I actually would like to see a couple other wide receivers jump in. You know, I yeah. I mm-hmm. am president of the Seth Williams fan club. That is no secret. <laughs> but uh, as we saw this past season, he can't be the only guy. He he's got to have a supporting cast. Bo Nix. If he's going to be, you know, working with Chad Morris and really getting to tap into the best of his game, he's got to have more weapons out there on the perimeter. Big guys that start contributing early and and whether or not it's freshmen, not necessarily, but like I, I want to see that kind of start to trickle in because I think that we're seeing the run game really start to build and develop and we're getting some great recruits that I do think will, you know, contribute early. But uh-huh. if this pass game gets to a point which a lot of people expect it will with Chad Morris, where it can be relied on more. I think you have to have more weapons, more unexpected weapons out there than just Seth. Yeah, you definitely, you're exactly right. Like everyone knows Seth is our main target, but we have right. to put someone opposite of him, you know, especially uh, Sam Canella. He's leaving. He was a, a tall figure, but at the same time, he's leaving. So we need someone of, of an equal statue. Uh, yeah. Maybe not as big as Seth, but someone that's a little bit slimmer that can get in and out of cuts because Seth is mm-hmm. more of a go ball type receiver or a deep in cut type receiver that can go up and make plays. If, if a guy's on him, he still can make the play. We need someone that they with a 6'3 speed, 6'4 speed that can flat out just run and can uh, and can turn their hips and everything that can get open. Because when I think about Chad Morris offense and I think about his Clemson days with the Sammy Watkins of the world and and yeah. those guys that he had, it was all about speed. And Jacoby Ford, he had with these guys running four threes, four twos um, in the 40s and everything. So I have to think that he's going to go out and find some guys that can run that type of speed because that's what he depends on a lot within his offense. We can't look mm-hmm. at what he did at Arkansas because that's not, that's not fair because uh, right. they wouldn't have an opportunity to re- recruit the same talent as we was getting at Auburn. Um, but when I think about – 
when I think about Bo, you know, Bo is not a big, tall guy. So, right. you know, it's easier for him to have big, to have bigger targets for him to throw the ball to, especially over the middle. When you're trying to look over the guards and the centers and you got D linemen that sit, sits and, you know, things like that coming at you. So it's going to be interesting because there's excitement in the air on the offensive side of the ball. I can tell from some of the things I've been reading and hearing, and, you know, I'm not sure if Swartz has made a decision yet. If he's just going to stick the track or he's going to give football a try now that, that Chad Morris is now running the offense that he may have an opportunity mm-hmm. to get more involved down the field utilizing his speed. So we'll see. It's, gonna, it's definitely uh, definitely going to be an interesting spring, and there's a lot of positions open, so that makes things fun and intriguing because – Guys can't just go out there and just feel like, oh, I got this. I can, I, I got this. Like, you got to go out there right. and perform every day in spring ball because you're vying for a position. Oh, yeah. I think we could see some battles at multiple positions heading into next season. I don't think we talked about this last week. I think the interview came out after our episode, but Gus Malzon said that he is going to hand the play calling over to Chad Morris. Um, First and foremost, do you believe that? Or do you think this is going to be a situation like we saw a couple years ago where uh, Gus still very much had his hand in the play calling? Do you really (laughs) think he can completely hand over the reins? I say yes to this occasion because when I think about, okay, Rhett Lashley, Rhett was a young guy, you know, Rhett's close to my age. And, uh, you know, Gus had him in high school, so Gus always felt like a father figure and um, a, a coach that was so much more experienced than him. So he was scared to turn over all the reins to Rhett. And sure. now Rhett's been doing really good. He's going to SMU, now he's going to Miami. So, you know, he's proven his worth. And then, you know, you think about Chip Lindsey. All right, he had a connection with Chip. But Chip was on the staff with them back in uh, 2013. And then Chip kind of went off, and then he brought Chip back as the offense coordinator. But Chip is a, is a guy that has his types of things that he likes to do offensively. But then Gus, you know, just sitting there just itching at the bit because he's not yeah. used to being a CEO. He used to being involved. And I had this conversation with him last summer. And I asked him, I said, Gus, I said, the fact that you're back in play calling, like, how does it make you feel? And he was like, Jason, it makes me feel like I'm back involved with my guys. He was just like, I, I, I can feel them. I can know them. So when I'm calling plays, I have a feel for what they do very well because I'm watching them in practice and I'm doing a designing of the plays. So right. it's going to be interesting now to see because now he's transitioned back to CEO, <laughs> you know, after one year oh, yeah. of calling. So, and then I can only reason I say yes to, to your question is Chad Morris is almost the same age as Gus. He may be four or five years younger, but Gus, I think, gave him his first big job in the collegiate level. So I think there's history there, and I think Mm -hmm. there's confidence there, and there's a trust factor that I feel like Gus would be involved in some way, but I don't think he'll get involved and get in the way of his play calling. Okay, well, like, I really feel like I have whiplash a little bit because (laughs) if you go back to to early episodes of our podcast this season – we were sitting here saying Gus Malzahn is back. He needed to be in the play calling seat. He needed to have control of this offense. That's what got him here. That's his identity. And then he lost it again. And so it's like a ping pong match and we're going back and forth. And so I, I don't think we have a good sense of where Gus Malzahn is his most successful at some points in his career. It was when he was, calling the shots for the offense and it's some it's been when he's been more of a manager and I hope and I I think this is kind of what you're getting at is that 
what's going to make Gus his most successful is partially going to be dependent on the pieces around him. Like I I'm, I don't necessarily think that he had found the right fit for coordinators yet. And I think he's found it in Kevin Steele and I'm optimistic that he has now found it in Chad Morris. And if that proves to be a system that works, then I think he can hand it over. But I, I echo what you're saying that I think it's not a matter of him letting go of the reins. It's a matter of who he's handing them to. All right. That's true. That is very true because, you know, Neither one of us has kids yet. So, you know, <laughs> just being around my nephew who's about to go off to college, like, I just like, dude, do I really want to let you drive me to school today? <laughs> and I'm just like, nah, I'm going to hold off. <laughs> just because, yeah. you know, like, but there comes a time that you have to trust them and you have to give them that right. opportunity. That's the only way they're going to learn, the only way they're going to get better. So when it comes to coaching, Gus has to learn to trust his coaches. He trusts Coach Steele with everything on the defensive oh, side yeah. of the ball. So he's going to have to learn to trust Chad. And I think the reason that he'll trust Chad because Chad has been to a national championship. He's won a national championship as an offensive coordinator. So he has the same pedigree as a Gus. So in yeah. that, so with that, you have to say, I'm going to trust you. It doesn't mean I can't give you ideas or come up with something in the meeting room, but I'm not going to get involved in your play calling because play calling is an art. Like you have to see things in the second half while they're happening in the first half. You call a play in the first quarter, it's the design something to come off of it in the third quarter. And it's not just, I'm just calling plays and calling plays. It has, it is the state of art and that's what separates the great play callers from the average play callers. Oh, definitely. And I think there just has to be a clear distinction of responsibility. You can't say one thing and do another. If if there are too many cooks in the kitchen when it All comes right. to, to play calling and coaches' responsibility, something's going to blow up. And I think that that uh, can be attributed to for some of the problems in seasons past. So I'm hopeful that, that this is the formula that allows Gus to be his best head coach and Chad and Kevin Steele can be the best coordinators that they can be. But there has to be a clear definition of responsibility and that has to be maintained throughout the season. Okay, well, before we bring in Gerard, I want to talk a little more in depth about um, the Super Bowl with you just because I know his time is going to be limited. So obviously Super Bowl 54 happening this week and it is the Chiefs and the 49ers. And really, when you dive into this one and you start comparing it ends up about even not necessarily uh the same thing like I wouldn't say they're equal on you know wide receivers or equal on quarterbacks but if you start putting different aspects of each team on two sides of the scale the scale almost evens out both of these teams have unique facets to each of them that the other one is lacking but they're really really close I think it's going to be such a good competitive game uh what's your perspective or expectation for this matchup and who who do you think gets the win oh man this game here got a lot of aspirations to it uh yeah i'm just so excited to see this type of game because i'm gonna I'm put my nfl hat back on for a second as if i was watching film in the meeting room and <laughs> love it right now both teams are kind of sweating a little bit because when you look at san francisco everything is off the run game and anytime mm-hmm. that and this is Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan's son. When Denver went back and won those Super Bowls back to back with that zone running scheme, it's the same as that running scheme. I watched Terrell Davis talk about it the other day on TV. It did. He said it's the same thing we did back when they went to the Super Bowl. So it is hard to stop that. But you look at 
Kansas City and all the noise is coming from there. You know, Frank Clark taking a shot at our Auburn guy, D4, you know, about the penalty yeah. last year and everything. So that just, if you want bulletin board material, I don't think you want to do that. So now he don't want to hit and put bulletin board material up there. So that just gave San Francisco just a little bit more amped up about this game. Not that you need any. And but then when you think about yeah. it from a, from an S's and O's standpoint, you got one of the best young quarterbacks in all of college and all the NFL and Patrick Mahomes. And mm-hmm. they're an aerated attack. So just like San Francisco can run the ball, Kansas City does the opposite. They throwing the ball. Yeah. They're they're like these guys attack you on every aspect of the field. And you can't just double team Kelsey or double team Tyree Hill, because then you got to deal with Hartman, you know, another guy that's super fast. Then you got Sammy Watkins, a guy that's super fast. And you know, yeah. they really don't – you really don't talk about Kansas City run game because they just come at you and come at you and come at you. It's almost like they're the Golden State Warriors of the NFL, right, when Steph and Clay was playing. Not this year, but Steph and Clay was playing yeah. when they were shooting the ball from everywhere. You know, like you think you got them, and here they come on a on a run, just like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And, uh, and that's how I look at it when I think Kansas City. But then I think what wins championship? Defense wins championship. So I'm just like, okay, mm-hmm. who has the edge? San Francisco has the edge. You know, with Boza and with Ford and, you know, Armstead. You know, these big old guys on defense. Richard Sherman back in the defensive backfield. Oh, yeah, so, the secondary is fast. Yeah, they're fast and they can run. And, like, of course, they're not in their elements in San Francisco. They're in Miami. So it's a little bit differently. But at the same time, something's got to give, and it's exciting to watch. But if I was a man, I had to put my hat on this. Whew. Mm. Can't believe I'm saying this. I can't see I'm saying I'm going with the 49ers just because they can run the ball I and play defense. I'm pulling for KC, I... but then I say, no, my boy okay. D4, my boy D4 is on the 49ers, so I can't do I that. know. So I gotta they, go we're an Auburn phone. podcast. We got to be pulling for D. But, I mean, that's obviously such an interesting storyline for him considering he played the last five seasons with the Chiefs, gets traded March of this year, and now <laughs> he's playing his former team with in the Super Bowl. It's crazy, but uh, – a lot of, lot of success for him. But I I agree with you. I think that it's going to come down to really small situational things. And so if you're expecting that, I think there's, there's a couple unique X factors here. For the 49ers, like I said, that secondary has speed. I think that there's a uniqueness to their speed and athleticism in their secondary that could possibly make the Chiefs passing game be a little bit more of a struggle than they've ever had it be before. But I also think the 49ers really have something special in Kyle Shanahan. This is a guy that is kind of the the current trend in the NFL is kind of the new school mentality, younger guys and uh, more innovative play calling. Like the resume doesn't necessarily matter anymore. Obviously, Andy Reid is a more accomplished coach, but Kyle Shanahan could come in with new innovative attack and, and that could kind of be their X factor. But for the Chiefs, Pat Mahomes is the X factor. He doesn't get frazzled. He doesn't get down. This Chiefs team doesn't get frazzled. We saw that when they were down 24 points to the Texans and they came back and won. So I don't know. I think this one is so well matched. But to me, I think the 49ers kind of have a little bit more of an edge. But if if Pat Mahomes goes off, I I wouldn't be surprised to see that either. It's a toss-up. My X factor is... Give it to me. Jimmy Garoppolo. I say that because this guy has attempted eight passes in the NFC Championship game, I believe. The game before that, I think it may have been like eight or ten passes. So he hasn't even thrown 20 passes or more in the last two playoff games for them to even get to the Super Bowl. 
So if I'm Kansas City and I'm playing against Steve Spagnola, who's a defense coordinator of KC, who's a guy that won two Super Bowl championships with the New York Giants over the Patriots, and he takes away what you do very well, I am stacking the box and I'm putting the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hand and I'm going to see can he will San Francisco to a victory because we would not let them just run over us to victory. So he's my X factor. So depending on how well he plays or how not well he plays, it's going to be if the 49ers win this championship or not. Okay. Uh, I like it. I like it. It's going to be a good one. I'm certainly excited to watch. Well, definitely want to get uh, Gerard's input on this as well. But before we bring him in, need to tell you guys once again about my bookie. As we've talked about, and as long as you aren't living under a rock, you know that the Super Bowl is this week. So if you want to make a bet on it, listen up. Head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. Whether you're choosing the winner or making a side bet with a friend, MyBookie offers you the most up-to-date odds and a site that makes extra cash easy and fast. You can even visit mybookie.ag party to access a printable prop sheet for the big game. And if football's not your jam, no worries. They have it all from the NBA to the Premier League. If you join right now, MyBookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. So if you deposit $2,000, you're going to get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. So why don't you go play, win, and get paid? All right, everybody, that's enough rambling from Jason and I. I think we've said enough. Time to bring in some fresh new insight, as we promised you. Former Auburn and NFL cornerback, Gerard Powers. Welcome to Tiger Talk. Appreciate you guys having us. We certainly want to talk all about the Super Bowl, want to hear about your Super Bowl experience. But before we do that, I got to start the way I do with all of our guests because the Auburn grad in me just wants to hear nothing more than about your college days. So let's go back in time a little bit and, and just hear from you. What was your experience like playing at Auburn? Uh, it was amazing. Uh, you know, coming from the North Alabama area, you know, where in Alabama, it's either Alabama or Auburn. You got to choose oh, at yeah. a young age. Uh, <laughs> so just coming up under that umbrella and, uh, and, and kind of seeing both sides of it, man, kind of highly recruited. When I say kind of, it's not like how it is today. So uh, <laughs> I say I, I was getting recruited pretty well. I uh, had, had some options. And uh, when I chose Auburn, like I honestly didn't know anybody there. And I uh, thought it was going to be a good opportunity to just start fresh, mend some relationships. I even remember on my visit, um, Jason and Ronnie and all those guys were getting ready to play Virginia Tech. And they were practicing. They were like the only people – on campus uh, during the winter because it was uh, during Christmas break. And I remember thinking this was the most boringest place I've ever been to because, like, only, only, <laughs> the only thing that they did was go work out, go to practice, and then they just went to their respected homes or dorms or whatnot. And all of a sudden I came back on a visit and I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely the place I want to be. But uh, I, I enjoyed my four years there, loved everything about it, uh, and continue to love it. Uh, and. and Every time that I get an uh, opportunity to go back, I try to make sure I go back and just show my face and support the guys as well. 
let me get your input on this past season. Obviously, Jason and I have have talked about it in depth. It was it was kind of a, a weird season because all the pieces were there. There was so much talent on the field, and and it kind of seemed like we were always on the cusp of greatness, and then it would just kind of slip away. And it obviously, you know, wasn't a season that you get down about but it's not one up to the standards uh certainly didn't match some of the talented guys that were on that field what stood out to you uh that was kind of lacking this past season what needs to be a focus heading into next year uh that's a good question I thought that um early on in the year I I mean I kind of went into the season just thinking like man as long as we can just get better weekend every week you know just get better and get better and get better that when the, the grunt of the schedule comes up, we'll be ready for it. Um, I mean, but you, if you look at the situation just from a, a whole standpoint, I mean, you definitely probably the, the toughest schedule in, in college football. You know, you're talking sure. about going to LSU. You're talking about going to Florida. Uh, you know, of course, your Bama, your Georgia uh, that you play every year. And then, um, you know, it was questions with Texas A&M who had an opportunity to be, you know, damn good football team this year as well but when you look at that and then uh you look at the rest of the games that we were supposed to win and we did I mean we might have struggled on offense a little bit but I think you know from my standpoint I mean Jason probably can attest to this too as a football player you know all these people put high expectations on these recruits coming in right away sometimes some recruits can adapt to it and they can play right away and play at a high level but then other times Guys need growing pains. Guys, guys need to go through some tough lessons or some tough times to kind of find their way. And I thought as a fan base, we kind of put too much on Bo uh, and was expecting a little bit too much from him uh, at a young age. I mean, the guy, the guy went in every week fighting his ass off, excuse my language, but fighting his tail off, uh, trying to do whatever the coaches was telling him to do to win. And uh, I think that what he went through this year going into next year, I mean, I think he'll be one of the key guys to watch in the SEC or just in the country, period, just off of the experience that he had last year, him, him winning uh, some big games last year and then coming into this year, nothing will seem new to him. I mean, he saw every tough defense last year, uh, was just thrown into the fire as an 18-year-old kid, and, and this is big boy football in the SEC. So I think uh, I think as a fan base, we kind of put too much on the offense just to Expecting it to be, yeah. you know, great all just just great all of a sudden when we just got a quarterback that just got here six months ago. Uh, it don't work like that in football for everybody. I mean, some some people, yeah, but I mean, you don't hear those cases a lot. But on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I thought we played well, you know, throughout the year. I thought it was a couple times that we kind of let our foot off on the on the gas a little bit, you know, and uh, and relaxed a little bit or, or whatnot. But I thought week in week out we played well, but when you look at side of the ball you're looking at a, a defensive team that had a bunch of seniors a bunch of guys that had played a lot of football a bunch of guys that's been there and done that so it was almost like one of those things that we just knew the defense was going to carry us because it was a veteran group and it was a group that had played in a lot of big time games and uh, and almost and played their their way into a playoff a couple times so I, I kind of knew the defense would be good and uh, and I kind of knew the offense I was just like I said I was just hoping like every week we just got better and better and better which I think we did but uh you know had some lapses here and there which will happen but going into this next season uh, my expectations will be a lot higher than it was uh going into last season for sure yeah I always tell people they put a lot of emphasis on guys but they come out of their star their star quarterbacks or 
not just star quarterback, even receivers or um, positions yeah. that's touched the ball a lot, even running backs. But my whole thing is what makes your football team really go is the three stars and the two stars and the four star guys because you're going to get more of them than you will any five star. You may get one or two five stars, but your team is going to be loaded with three stars and four stars. And I hate putting stars on things because a lot of it is just based off your competition you're playing in high school. And then some right. of it is the aspect of is this kid not can he just go out and just play and just do things, but is he a team player? Do he fit in? Do he make guys around him better? Or is he just a me guy? You know, it's just a lot of those that you have right. to when you're recruiting that you have to look at. But when I think about this football team and I figure out how we finished this year, I didn't like the way we finished against Minnesota. Uh, I felt like uh, I felt like I don't know what was there and why it happened the way it happened. Do you feel like they were looking at the bowl game as just like, all right, this is just another game. We're just going to get out of the way and finish the season. And if your coach still and your defense been playing outstanding all year and you see that type of effort in the bowl game, what do you expect from him coming back in the springtime out of the guys that are coming back this year? Yeah, the, the, the first question, um, I'm not I'm I'm not going to sit here and say, uh, because we're not in the playoffs, this game don't matter. I think it was a situation to where Auburn just saw the, the players. I'm not I'm not saying coaches, because I think the coaches do their due diligence on every right. opponent week in, week out, and uh, put the emphasis on every game. But you know as a player, I mean, you've been there, done that as well. As a player, sometimes you might just see a name or, you know, a specific type team, and you might not take them as serious as you should. And uh, as a fan, and you just watch college football in, in a whole or its uh, totality, I mean, I've, I've been seeing that Minnesota team since week one. I mean, I love their coach and the program that he's built and the, and, and the way that he goes about his business and how he teaches the fundamentals, how he kind of – he has a different spin on the way that he attacks his program compared to other coaches. It's more – of a player friendly type deal like you hear a lot of a lot of guys just say man I'll play for him no matter wherever he goes and I think yeah. it was a situation where um our guys just didn't take them that serious didn't believe that they were as, as good of a football team as their record showed I mean these are the same guys that beat Penn State these are the same guys that you know, went through the Big Ten and, and put themselves in position to uh, to almost go to that Big Ten championship. So I think it was a situation where as a player, as a as a team, from the player standpoint, we kind of uh, – it was a letdown from them. I don't think they took that game as serious as they should because Minnesota is a damn good football team. And, uh, and you can tell that their players took Auburn serious right. from the top yeah, to the bottom. I mean, Florida year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then on the um, – it's going to be a rough spring. Yeah, he, he's going to – I can I can tell you from the first meeting that they have in the spring, I bet it would be a different type of tone in his voice to kind of let everybody – yeah, to kind of let everybody know this is going to be the tone for the year. Uh, I think Coach Steele is going to bring that with the first meeting they have in the spring just as a team defense. Um, I mean, just knowing Coach Steele over the years um, – and just, you know, kind of following his career, the places that he's been, the staff that he's been on, you know that's not the way that he wanted to end that year and uh, and, and, and that game specifically. So I, I bet he's kind of licking his chops a little bit uh, and can't wait to this spring to start because he's definitely going to have a different mindset and a different tone for this defense. And then, again, when you add that the pieces that you lost from last season, 
he's definitely going to make sure that he put emphasis on what he wants and how he wants to get it done this year for sure coming off that bowl loss. Um, you know, back when we were at school and, and Coach Yachts was there and those guys and Muschamp and all that, I remember losing bowl games and just thinking like, oh, my gosh, like this spring is going to be hell. <laughs> or, or, or this offseason is just going to be held just off of the strength of how we lost that last game of the year. Um, right. So, I, I, I mean, I'm excited for the spring just to see you guys compete, especially in the secondary. Uh, it, it feels like every spot is wide open. So, to see guys compete, the new guys come in, to see how they blend, to see how the linebackers try to take control of the team and set their group as the leaders, who's going to step up to replace Derrick Brown and – Marlon Mack and all these guys. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited as a fan and as a former defensive player just to see how the defense will develop. But on the same token, I mean, Coach Steele gets a three-year extension, 2.5 a year. This is why you pay coaches like him that type of money uh, because you believe in everything that he does. And I'm, I'm pretty sure and, and, and pretty confident that he'll, you know, get the right guys in place and we'll find some new leaders and we'll have fans screaming some new names this year in the stadium for sure. Well, I think that that probably had a maybe a small thing to do with him deciding to sign that deal. You said that wasn't the way he wanted the season to end. It's certainly not the way he wants his career to end. I mean, this is a guy that's very open about the fact that when he's done as the defensive coordinator at Auburn, he's going to retire. He's doing this because he loves what he's doing and he's passionate about it. And that did not showcase what he has taught these guys. And that is not the effort that he has demanded from his players. So to see them end it that way just did didn't make any sense so I completely agree with you I think his approach and not just to this season probably to the next three years that he has signed this deal through uh, will be to make sure the effort that he is demanding is showcased from start to finish regardless what that final game is at the end of the season um, well I do want to get your input obviously it's Super Bowl week and uh, quite the big one at that but before I get your input on this year's matchup you had your own Super Bowl experience with the Colts and you know for a peasant like myself who's never been to a Super Bowl yet alone played in it uh, I would love to hear about it from your perspective just what that experience was like playing you know and, and just being at the biggest stage in football uh, it's 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 amazing. Um, you know, you, you get two weeks to prepare. So after that first week of practice, you know the game plan. You know you know it inside and out. Um, so the, when the second week comes up, and then you're at the site or you're at the city that the Super Bowl is going to be, it's so many just different activities, uh, different events that you required to go to, and um, you know you got your friends, your family, your close ones with you. It's like it's just one of those moments to where. You just know, no matter how this game goes, win or loss, you know you're going to remember this forever. Uh, so for me, it was amazing just to be a part of such a great organization with the Colts. Um, and, and, and we're in Miami, which when we went in 2009, they had just won it in 2006 in the same stadium. Uh, so to be there with, you know, Peyton Manning, the, the White Queens, the Robert Mathis, the, the Reggie Wayne, Antoine Bethes, the you know, Bob Sanders, just to be there on that field with those guys on the biggest stage and the biggest moment, um, I mean, it was amazing. But the one thing that uh, I probably remember the most is growing up, you know how everybody shows the opening kickoff and you see all the camera lights that's flashing in the stadium from the opening kickoff. That was, that was the moment that when I was standing on the sideline outside of the national anthem, which I was standing by Emmett Smith, and I'm just sitting there like kind of shaking because I'm looking like, man, this is Emmitt Smith. I've been growing up watching this guy, you know, since I was a kid. Um, 
actually wore number 22 at one point uh, during my little league years when I played running back. My cousin had and, uh, but to be on that sideline and see that opening kickoff and all the lights and the camera flashing and just the, the energy in the stadium will probably be the most memorable thing I ever experienced in playing sports, uh, just period. Uh, it was just it was just surreal, and uh, you knew all eyes were on you. Uh, you knew that every play mattered. If you made a mistake, it literally could cost you the game. So uh, it was just one of those stages to where you knew everything would be critiqued, criticized, everything would be seen, and uh, you just wanted to go out there and play the best and uh, and hopefully come out with the victory, which we didn't. Uh, but uh, it was a time that I, I just remember. Um, I remember well, and it just it it, it kind of you know humbles you to the sense of, you know, when I went there, we were 14 and we had won 14 games in a row. We set the starters out the last two weeks of the season. Like, we just just went through the league uh, that season. And I remember as a rookie, you know, starting on a Super Bowl team and just thinking, like, man, this is easy. Like, you know, I played my, – my SEC schedule was harder than this. I remember literally <laughs> saying that to Peyton Manning. Like, man, the SEC schedule is way harder than the NFL schedule. And then the next year come, and we had to win the last four games to make the playoffs. Then the next year come, and we only win three games that season. Then the next year come, you know, we make it to the AFC uh, Championship again and lose to the Ravens. But it just shows you how hard it is to get there. And that's why all those players put in put in the work that they put in in the offseason just for that moment and just for that one key game. And, uh, and I was, I was kind of upset when I retired. I never had the opportunity to play in that game again. But – I mean, you look in the Hall of Fame, which they're going to announce Saturday. It's going to be a ton of guys uh, that's in the Hall of Fame and that will be announced Saturday that never even had an opportunity to play in that game. Uh, yeah. So it's just a real feeling and a feeling that uh, I'll probably cherish forever for sure. Well, that's good, Gerard. I'm just like Taylor as a peasant. I didn't get a chance to <laughs> play in the Super Bowl or go to the Super Bowl game. Oh, we, got put out the second, we got put out in the second round, but who's your X Factor? When you think of this Super Bowl game, my X factor for the Chiefs is definitely going to be their uh, their their front seven. Um, the Chiefs defense, if you watched them from week one into now, early on in the year, they were the laughing stock of the league. Uh, they were awful, uh, just to put it simple. They were awful, but they they again, you know, addressed their problems, and then by week eight, week nine, you start to see the improvement, and then by week four. 15, 16, it was like, oh my gosh, like this is a, a, a defense that came together and they're playing lights out right now. Uh, but like you said, the 49ers is going to run the ball. And if the Chiefs are not able to stop the run, uh, I know they got Pat Mahomes, which is a generational talent. And I mean, he's amazing. Don't get me wrong. But it's one thing about being able to run the ball when it comes to football is the one thing is you control that clock. So if they're running the ball well, Pat Mahomes is not going to be on the field as much as people think that he will, which will cause them to, when they come on the field, it's more pressure for them to score right away. If the 49ers is driving the ball every time they get it per possession, they're they're taking five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes off the clock, and they're finishing it with scores, it's just going to put more pressure on that Chiefs offense just for them knowing, like, we can't go three and out, we can't punt. But on the flip side of that, 49ers defense has been lights out all year. Their front seven, their secondary, they've been lights out all year. 
the Chiefs have more weapons than anybody. Like you double one, they're just going to be happy. The other guys are going to be happy. So I think the 49ers will play a lot more zone defense and just try to make the Chiefs earn everything they get. So you might see them trying to force the Chiefs to just kind of think and dunk their way down the field. The Chiefs lives on big shots. Um, so if the Chiefs become impatient and – and they're trying to force the ball down the field when it's not there. I think that will cause problems for the Chiefs and uh, the 49ers will win that game. But if the Chiefs is able to just be patient, take what the 49ers are – because the 49ers are going to play. There's no way they can match up man-to-man with the weapons the Chiefs have. And if the Chiefs just take what the 49ers give them, drive the ball downfield, take their shots when they're there, when they're not, just dink and don't, get your points on the board, I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. Uh, uh, I'm picking the Chiefs this week just off of the simple fact. I mean, you got Pat Mahomes, oh. who is, what, 24 years old. And, uh, he's already got an MVP under his belt. And then if you just look at the state of the league, all the great quarterbacks, older quarterbacks, they're they're starting to get out. Drew Brees is thinking about retiring. We don't know where Tom Brady's going to be next year. Phillip Rivers not in, not in L, not a uh, Charger anymore. You know, you got all these older Eli Manning just retired. Great quarterbacks that's starting to find their way out of the league. The league needs a new face, and this is the perfect opportunity for Pat Mahomes to let everybody know for the next ten to fifteen years the NFL is mine if he can win this game. Like I said, he already got an MVP under his belt. He's already broke all these passing records at such a great – I mean, such a young age. He has the greatest arm. We, we used to think Aaron Rodgers was the greatest arm talent we've ever seen, which is still debatable. But Pat Mahomes is letting people know, like, there's not an arm other than Aaron Rodgers that you can compare mine to other than Brett Favre and maybe Dan Marino. That's my mm-hmm. opinion. I know – I know. Uh, Jay Cam, you, you got more history with the quarterback than I do, but that's just my opinion. It's, it's Pat Mahomes, Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, and Brett Favre as, like, the golden arms of the NFL history. And wow. for Pat Mahomes to be, you know, 24 years old and to do the things that he's done, and remember, this is just his second-year start. You know, right. he set the first year behind Alex Smith, learned a lot, then he goes the next year, wins the MVP, and then now it's this year – He's in the Super Bowl, so who's to say he can't take over the AFC kind of like the Patriots did with Tom Brady for the next 10 years or so? Uh, So I'm going to say that the Chiefs is going to win just off of the simple fact the NFL is looking for a new face, and this is Pat Mahomes' golden opportunity to do that, and I think he'll take advantage of it. Well, there you go, people. That's his prediction. I think it's a good one at that. This is going to be a well-matched Super Bowl, highly competitive. We are definitely excited to see all the action. Gerard Powers, thank you so much for joining us here today. Appreciate you guys having us. All right, everybody. Well, that does it for us this week on Tiger Talk. Thank you so much for listening to us. Everyone go enjoy the big Super Bowl game this week. We'll see if our guy Gerard's prediction is correct. We will be back next week to break down all of the action for you. So for Jason and myself, thank you so much for listening. War Eagle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.